BAM Radio Network. In order to get relief from NCLB requirements, states will basically have to do three things. If states do these three things, they won't be bound by the 2014 deadline for getting all students proficient. Hello and welcome to RAW Education News Radio. Finally, relief from No Child Left Behind. Yesterday, senior administration officials released details of the president's plan to provide relief from NCLB. The president will offer flexibility on the requirements, but plans to maintain a high bar. For details, we take you to the White House press conference. Let's go there now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. So you know who you're hearing from. We have Melody Barnes, who's the director of Domestic Policy Council here at the White House. Carmel Martin, who's Assistant Secretary for Planning, Evaluation, and Policy Development at the Department of Education, and Michael Uden, who's Acting Assistant Secretary for Elementary and Secondary Education at the Department of Education. With that, I will turn it over to uh, our first senior administration official to discuss what you are going to hear from the President tomorrow. Great. Thank you so much. As you well know, this past March, a year after we sent a comprehensive plan to the Hill for reauthorization of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which is a law that's currently known as No Child Left Behind, President Obama called for a bipartisan ESEA bill by the start of the new school year. We're now a month into the new school year, and while we appreciate the individual efforts of various members of Congress, we still don't have a bipartisan bill to replace No Child Left Behind. The reality is another school year starting under a broken law. Our kids only get one shot at a good education to prepare them to compete and get ahead in the global economy. Washington is four years late in fixing the flawed No Child Left Behind law. During that time, think about this, a child has both entered and graduated from high school. Our kids can't wait any longer for reform. Several weeks ago, Secretary Duncan and I announced that the President had directed us to move forward to develop a package that would support states and districts willing to move forward with reforms while holding firm on accountability. Now we want to let schools and districts and states know that relief arrives tomorrow in the form of a new partnership that supports innovation and reform in the state while maintaining a high bar for the success of all students. Over the past several years, this administration has challenged states to move forward with reforms that were not envisioned when No Child Left Behind became law in 2002. States have responded with absolutely stunning courage collaboration, and creativity. Forty-four states in the District of Columbia are working to adopt a common set of state-developed college and career-ready standards. Forty-six states in the district are developing high-quality assessments. More than 40 states are developing new accountability systems. And 45 states also got together and provided input on this package. Those numbers should make it clear that this is not a partisan issue. In fact, The president will be introduced at tomorrow's event by Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam, a Republican. Rhode Island's independent Governor Lincoln Chafee will also stand with the president tomorrow. And Secretary Duncan and I have worked with and spoken to Democratic and Republican governors alike all over the country. And in fact, a bipartisan group of 20 state school chiefs will be joining us for tomorrow's event as well. This fall, the administration will provide flexibility from the law in exchange for a real commitment to undertake change. The purpose is not to give states and districts a reprieve from accountability. And I want to stress that. This is not a step back from accountability. In terms of reform, we're looking to follow the state's lead on the policies they're moving on anyway. This is a significant
significant step forward in helping educators, parents, and community leaders transition away from today's top-down approach toward a system that encourages local solutions. For parents, it means that their schools won't be labeled failures and their children won't be denied the extra help they need. It should reduce the pressure to teach the test and the narrowing of the curriculum, which we know has been such a concern for so many. For schools, it means that they won't be labeled a failure by the federal government and risk losing critical funding. We're also giving states more flexibility to design their own accountability system for schools based on ambitious but achievable targets. And states will have more control over federal funds to better meet the local needs of their schools and students and recognize and reward those schools that are making progress. Finally, we're enabling school districts to identify the best teachers and develop strategies to keep them, empower them, honor them, and support them. We remain absolutely committed to accountability, and there will be a high bar for states seeking flexibility. We'll encourage all states to apply, and everyone should have a chance to succeed. But those who don't will have to live with the current law until Congress acts to replace it. Now I'm going to turn this over to my colleague from the Department of Education who's going to provide some additional details. Thank you. Uh, just to follow up on what my colleague mentioned, in order to get relief from NCLB requirements, states will basically have to do three things. First, they must be transitioning to college and career-ready standards and assessments. States can still set their own standards. That's the current law, and that remains the law under this package. Second, states must have an accountability system that doesn't treat all schools the same. Under the ESCA flexibility package, a state should recognize and reward the highest achieving schools that serve low-income students and those that show the greatest student progress. For low-performing schools, which are those in the bottom 5%, a district must turn the schools around along the lines of our school improvement grant program. In addition, states also have to target another 10% of their schools with low graduation rates, large achievement gaps, or low performance among subgroups of students. The remedies will be locally designed, but the expectations will be unequivocal. This is not a pass on accountability. Finally, each state that receives the ESCA flexibility will set basic guidelines for teacher and principal evaluation and support systems. The state and its districts will develop these systems with input from teachers and principals and will assess their performance based on multiple valid measures. This should include, must include, student progress over time and other measures and those systems should provide meaningful feedback to teachers on how they can improve instruction and better help their students. Now, if states do these three things, they won't be bound by the 2014 deadline for getting all students proficient. States and districts will also be free to, to decide how to spend their 20% of Title I dollars that NCLB directed must be spent on choice and tutoring. And they'll have additional freedom in transferring dollars between funding streams for their own purposes, as long as dollars directed to disadvantaged groups of students are protected. One last point on process, the states most ready to apply can file requests by mid-November and hopefully we can issue waivers early in the next year. States that need a little more time can apply in January. As you know, we will have a peer review process which will be designed to give states every opportunity to make their case. This isn't about jumping through hoops, it's about supporting the good work that's happening all across the country. So we'll stop now and take any questions that you have. Larry Abramson at National Public Radio, please go ahead. 
Hi, thanks. Those who uh, represent learning disabled students have been particularly concerned that these new waiver standards might allow states to take more kids who are uh, LD out of the mix. What is there in the guidelines that you've just given us that will prevent a state from saying, uh, you know, we're going to go to 5%? Students with disabilities continue to be in, in part of this accountability system. It holds all children to the same high standards. They'll still need to be assessed by those standards and included in the accountability system. Thank you. Michelle McNeil, Education Week. Thanks very much. I wanted to ask about the high bar that you all talked about in terms of granting these waivers. Given that most states have already adopted these college and career ready standards, and given that at least the details that we see here, like on the fact sheet, this teacher and principal effectiveness system seems to be built around just giving feedback to teachers versus more, you know, decisions about tenure or pay or whatever. I just wonder how high, I guess, really is this bar? Very high bar. I mean, this is consistent with what the President and Secretary Duncan have been saying from the very, very beginning. And I think when you see the information that will be coming forward and the materials and what the actual package looks like, you'll understand that this is an effort to encourage and to support those states that are already in moving in the direction of these reforms, um, but to move our entire system forward in partnership with the states um, to a higher set of standards. Thank you. We'll go next in line of Dana Goldstein, The Nation Magazine. Please go ahead. Thanks so much. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the messaging the president will do around this will dovetail with his messaging on saving teachers' jobs. We've always viewed all of these pieces as fitting together. If we don't have teachers um, and principals and educators in classrooms, leading their schools, um, working with students, working with communities and parents, then it's virtually impossible for us to, at the same time, help reform our school system and be in partnership with states and parents and school leadership. We know right now that because of uh, the layoffs that have occurred and are projected to occur, that we're talking about reduced class time, days in school, hours in school, the effect is really, really serious. And at the same time, we're saying we've got to get to a college and career-ready set of standards for our children. Those two things are, in, are incompatible. And quite frankly, I would also add that it aligns with the president's call to modernize our schools. So all of these things fit into the, the president and Secretary Duncan's holistic view on education, making sure we have teachers and classrooms, leaders and principals leading their schools, facilities that support those learning experiences, and the right kinds of assessments and standards for our children. Thank you. And next we'll go to the line of John Heckner at Bloomberg. I wondered if you could um, calculate in dollar terms how much money would be freed up in this choice and tutoring money, and maybe sort of typically what percentage that would be for a school system. It's hard to calculate that exactly, but we think there's about a billion dollars that is being freed up for states and school districts to use in a more flexible way. Trisha Offit at Lark Publications, please go ahead. Thank you. Um, I was wondering, you had mentioned how these waivers can benefit parents and communities. I was wondering, is there any explicit requirement in the waiver process uh, for states to consult with parents and community members when they're developing their waiver applications? Yes, there is. They have to consult with a diverse set of stakeholders in their state, and we specifically identify parents in that context. Andrew Brownstein at Thompson Publishing. Thank you. Concurrent with some of the talk about um, the waivers that are going to be 
announced tomorrow. Some states have asked for and received accountability waivers over the summer, and I'm wondering if that process is going to be subsumed into this one or if it's a parallel track. There have been no waivers given to states over the summer. What I think what you might may be thinking about are some states have taken advantage of flexibility that they have under the statute. We've worked with them closely on that, but it, it's not a waiver. The changes they've made are things that are consistent with the statutory provision. Thank you, and uh, thank you to our senior administration officials for their time, and thank you to all of you for getting on the phone. One final reminder. You're listening to RAW Education News Radio. For the BAM Radio Network, I'm L. St. Clair Smith. Thanks for listening.